Morning, friends. You guys doing all right? Good, 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 good. All right, grab your Bibles. You want to open up to Psalm 40. We've been doing a series um, on Advent here the last number of weeks, and we've been looking at Advent through the lens of the Psalms, um, looking at a whole bunch, all, all of which are um, themed around the concept of waiting. Um, and we've seen, I hope, it's, I hope you believe me, that the Psalms are all telling one great big story. It's a story about a man who flourishes and prospers, even though there is great suffering and injustice, yea, even waiting in the middle. Last week we looked at Psalm 37, which you might recall is about the particular grief of suffering and waiting while the bad guys don't seem to have to. Why do I have to wait if they're getting all all the good stuff now? And if you were to read through Psalm 37, then 38, 39, you'd see that that whole thing forms a unit. 37, 38, 39, and all of these Psalms are about waiting, different kind of facets and aspects of waiting. You could take a look and you could see all that. And then Psalm 40 is kind of the conclusion to the set. It's different because the wait is finally over, or at least a wait is over, maybe not, maybe not the entire thing. So in Psalm 40, you, you kind of rejoice, like it's all done now, and then you realize, oh, it's only sort of done now. Um, it's not the end of the wait, it's merely an end of the wait, which is a really fitting place for us to end our series, because Christmas is almost here, we're just a few days away, Advent is nearly over, and we're about to rejoice that Christmas has finally come, and we get to catch our breath and celebrate and rest, but the real wait, the big wait, that one is going to be ongoing all the way until Jesus finally returns to restore all things. So I'm going to read you Psalm 40, and when I do, I want you to notice that there's, there's, it, it breaks really naturally into three distinct phases, okay? In the first chunk, the first, I think it's like verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 40, it's like the celebration. Like, I waited and he came through and, I, and all is well. I'm rescued and it's just a sense of happiness and relief and rejoicing. And that gives way in part two to, a, to this new resolve. It's like, okay, he came through for me. I'm going to dedicate my life to him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to trust him because he's faithful. And there's just a sense of rejoice and resolve to be an obedient person. And then, can you guess what happens after that? In section three, he's back in the mixer again. He's like, oh God, you're faithful and it's a good thing because I'm surrounded by evil and I desperately need your help once again. And what, it's, what it's, I think it's letting us know is that when the wait is finally over, it might not really be actually, utterly, altogether over. So take a look. We'll, we'll read it together and we'll kind of unpack that a little bit. So Psalm 40, we'll pick it up in verse 1. We'll read the whole thing. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up out of this pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock and he made my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man. Do you hear the echo to Psalm 1? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who doesn't turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You've multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Right, it's just all happy, happy, happy. It's the pleasure of relief, right? When something terrible happens and then then it doesn't turn out so bad and you're like, phew, all good news, okay? Now here comes the pledge that comes in response to that. In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, 
but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering, sin offering, you've not required. And then I said, behold, I've come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I've not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. He's basically saying, I'm in. You're the, you're the greatest. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm yours. I'm in. Okay? And then phase three. Despite his faithfulness and this declaration of obedience, he's back into need again. Verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For, here it comes, evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord. To deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha, may they all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought from me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. So, do you guys know this pattern? Have you seen it in your own life where life is hard and then God comes through and you're rescued from trouble and you're so grateful and you're renewed and then, bam, life is hard again. If so, be of good cheer because it's, it's an old story. In fact, it is, I would suggest that it is the story. God brings us through circumstances to teach us to trust him and to strengthen us in him. And then from that new strength, he brings us through yet more so that we will trust him more and be strengthened more. And you guys, it's meant to be that our lives are this outward spiral that we're growing in faith and we're growing in perseverance and we're growing in endurance and we're growing in love, right? This outward getting richer and better and stronger and more. And then as we spin by loop, by loop, by loop, what we're really doing is imitating Jesus because his life displayed the exact same pattern. In fact, did you know that Psalm 40 is all about Jesus? All of the Psalms, right? In fact, all of the scriptures are about him. This one, though, is particularly vivid. If you take a look at that middle section, verses 6 to 8, um, that is pointedly directly, explicitly about him. Here, it's the response to God's faithfulness. Look at it in verse 6. It says, In sacrifice and offering, you've not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering, sin offering, you've not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now here's the deal. Uh, David is the author of Psalm 40, right? And he is a man after God's own heart. One of the things that that means is that he knows what totally pushes God's buttons. God loves obedience. And David, David understands that, and he wants to be obedient, but he can't, right? He struggles with this in a pretty significant way. However, he has seen, he's observed the life of his predecessor. Do you know who was king right before David? 
Saul was king, right? Saul was a bad guy. Saul was like really tall. He's good looking and everything. He's going to be perfect. Turns out there's more to life than being tall. And, uh, and he ends up just ruining all things, right? He was given a specific assignment, but he couldn't keep the assignment. And so instead of doing what God wanted him to do, he offers this sacrifice uh, as if that's going to like just make everything all better. And Samuel comes to him and rebukes him and says, no, 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 no. This is not what God asked of you. Here it is in 1 Samuel 15. Samuel was kind of like spiritual advisor of sorts to Saul. And he said, he asked him the question in 1 Samuel 15, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and in sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And so in Psalm 40, David has internalized that. He's like, okay, got it. I got the message. You're not just looking for me to go do stupid things and then kill a sheep and call it even. What you want is that I'm going to bend the knee to you. I'm going to subordinate my life to yours. That's what I want to do. And that's what he's writing in Psalm 40. But he can't do it, right? David's life is marked by probably the two sins that are the most common for men in particular, lust and anger. And like David's life is just like, he just keeps tripping into these same sorts of things, right? He wants to be obedient. He loves the Lord, but he can't pull it off. And so what he wrote there in Psalm 40 was not chiefly about himself. He can't keep that promise. He can't cash that check. The real fulfillment of Psalm 40 was found in the life of a future king. And you can read about it in Hebrews 10. So flip over there in the New Testament. In Hebrews 10, is this whole big picture about how Jesus is better than everybody. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's got a better sacrifice. He's got a better covenant. He entered a better temple. He's better, 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 better. And in Hebrews 10, we hearken back to this Psalm 40. And it says this in verse 4. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Right, the sacrifices aren't going to be able to get it done. And so look at verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and we quote Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. Do you hear Psalm 40? That whole thing, that's exactly what that is. And the author of Hebrews is saying that the speaker of Psalm 40, the real speaker, is Jesus. He is the one who actually, really genuinely offered himself in full submission to the will of God. He is the truly obedient one in a way that you will never be. He is, as I've said before, the righteous man of Psalm 1 who is ultimately going to flourish. But does anybody remember what happened in Jesus' life the day after he said, not my will, but yours be done. I have come to do your will. What happens, you guys? The crucifixion, right? That his surrender to the will of God led to his crucifixion. And that's exactly what's going on in Psalm 40. He makes the offer and then he finds himself in deep water. He goes to a cross. And so it is with us that we who choose to follow him, we accept and we embrace and we even adopt what we call the cruciform life. Our life takes on the shape of the cross, of a crucifixion. We surrender to him whatever it is that he puts in our path. Trusting that there will be a resurrection after whatever death he allows into our lives. And you guys, Christians' lives, your life will be marked by lots and lots of little deaths. 
during which you wait for little, little resurrections. All the while, you're waiting for the resurrection, the great resurrection. He died, and so we die. And he lives, and so we live. And our lives are an imitation of his. We take this on. And all of life is teaching us this, that, that our deaths will, will give way to resurrection. I want to illustrate it for you guys with a movie. Have you guys seen Shawshank Redemption? Okay, it's a, this is like one of the all-time greats. And if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it. But he came out 25 years ago, okay? So that's on you, all right? Uh, it's, a, it's a messianic story. All stories draw their life from the gospel. The stories that move our hearts, they're all going to be gospel stories. This story in particular, though, it seems it's so conspicuous that it seems like they were really intending to, to draw out these messianic themes. So in, in the story, Andy Dufresne is the, is the protagonist. He's the messianic character. Andy is an innocent man who is condemned and sentenced to, this, to go to this horrible prison even though he did no wrong. Okay? When he gets there, again, there's all these things throughout the story that you're like, okay, that's, these things all kind of add up. The warden, you guys remember the warden in the film? He's evil, right? But he masquerades as an angel of light. But he is like darkness itself. Um, Andy himself, as he walks through the story, he's somewhat of a miraculous figure. He's descended to the lowest place and dwells among all these condemned men. But he walks among them different from all the rest. And he's, like I said, he's somewhat of a miraculous character. And in fact, his first miracle is a little bit particular. Does anybody recall the first miracle that Andy pulls off? First thing that is like, wow, how on earth did you make that happen? He gets, he gets a bunch of cold beer for all of his prison mates. They're up there tarring the roof. And he has this interaction with a guard. And, and he persuades the guard to bring like three cold beers for each of, each of the men. And I think that that is an homage to Jesus' first miracle, which was making wine at a wedding, right? So he brings, he brings wine to his friends, and he gets, wine, gets beer for his friends. Um, and the whole story is just full of all this. Nevertheless, um, what, it, what it's about is that Andy here, he enters into death, right? He goes down to the lowest place, and then he's resurrected. There's a scene which is this very powerful picture of this innocent one who has been condemned despite his, his innocence and he crawls through 500 yards of stench and death to come out cleansed and, and free in the rain. You guys want to see it? A little, little Shawshank? Okay, we'll watch the scene and then we'll kind of make a couple more observations. Those lights. That's the car simply didn't notice. Neither did I. I mean, seriously. How often do you really look at a man's shoes?
candy crawl to freedom through 500 yards of smelling foulness I can't even imagine. Or maybe I just don't want to. Five hundred yards. That's the length of five football fields. Just shy of half a mile. in the Christian life, surrender leads to death, and death leads to life over and over and over again. And as this Advent draws to a close, we celebrate the life, right? It's the end of the wait, or it's at least the end of a wait, because we know that the big wait continues. We determine that we will trust him, whatever he puts in our path. And we will rejoice in all the small rescues as we await his return. Embrace the spiral. It is not an inward spiral that ends in death. It is an outward spiral. And it makes us more gracious and more trusting and more powerful and more loving until he finally comes again and restores all things. So... Happy Advent. It's almost Christmas. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, you are the only reason that we can get through the waits. Lord, knowing that you went before us, that you entered into death, and that your death resulted in life is everything to us. It is literally everything. It is the source of our greatest hope and our greatest joy. It's what gives us a sense that we can survive this. Lord, you are the one who purchased for us everlasting happiness. Lord, I pray that we might look at you and draw strength from you for whatever things you're asking us to wait through right now, whatever little deaths, even if they don't feel so little. And Lord, would you allow us to catch our breath, to rescue, to, to, to rejoice in the rescue as we await your final coming. And we ask you, Lord, come soon. We love you, love you, love you. Thanks for loving us. Amen.